right, everyone, welcome to the Course of Action podcast. Today, my guest is none other than the author of Shadow Tear, former Green Beret, and contractor, tons of military experience, in and out of uniform, Steve Stratton. Steve, what's going on, man? How you doing, Jeff? Doing great here. Just uh, wading through the snow that happened last night here in Denver. Uh, pretty crazy. They call it a spring snow, but I think they're a little late on the spring thing. So, yeah, I remember when I lived in Colorado Springs, um, they were telling me like, don't, don't like get all your summer stuff out just yet. Like we had snow in June, and I was like, what? <laughs> and then it snowed don't in like the garden. first. Yeah, it snowed like the first week of September, and I was like. In Oklahoma, like it starts creeping up into the 80s consistently in September. And in Colorado, it's snowing the first week of September. And then we went on to get several inches of snow. And I was like, this is insane. I enjoyed it because I like being cold more than I like being hot. But, you know, uh, the snow up there, it was a different kind of snow, too. Like snow here in Oklahoma was it's it's nasty snow it's not snow you can enjoy <laughs> it's icy it doesn't pack or if it does pack it just turns in ice like it's it's a different kind of snow so i colorado is beautiful i really do miss it yeah yeah it's a it's a great state unfortunately i think uh my son planted his garden a little too early as his backyard looks like there's a bunch of uh, gp mediums around the garden and stuff like that but <laughs> hopefully some of it survives so yeah, we had to learn about a thing called uh, what was it called? Um, winter winter freeze or something like that. Winter uh, winter dehydration. I didn't know this about some of our plants that we had planted and the plants that we planted was that like in the winter you have to water the ground because the ground the first like twelve inches or so becomes so dry that it it'll just dry up the roots and kill the plant. So right, right, I didn't yeah. think of like, oh, yeah, I should water them a couple of times during the winter. I didn't think of that. And we almost lost this one really, really nice tree all because I didn't know that. So then they started watering the heck out of it and trying to get it you know, revived in the summer. And it was uh, it's different. And like the code down there, like we were replacing one of our deck posts and they were like, it has to go down at least 24 inches because that's the frost level. And I was like, this is insane. Like, I didn't realize the difference in you know the two areas yeah yeah uh folks think of colorado as this beautiful mountainous area but it's really it's an alpine desert right out here yeah. it's certainly up against the mountains from the springs up through through denver and fort collins up into wyoming and so it is really dry so we're very happy for the moisture mm -hmm. but yeah you you've got frost line then you have a a, a some stuff called bentonite that will swell up with water and can make actually make it so you can't open a door in your house, you know, and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy living out here, but it's really worth it. So, and, and you would think, and like, I didn't think of it because I was like the amount of snow we're getting is melting down into the ground. So like the, the, the ground's gotta be moist. It has to be. Well, I was wrong. Like, no, it's, it's so dry that the water just seems to like go past it or just evaporate up into the air. And I was like, I didn't know that, but yeah, the high plains desert that you drive through on the way in, you know, whether you're coming up from the South or from the East is, um, 
you just don't expect that you expect this lush beautiful trees everywhere and it's like you don't realize how much of a dry desert it is until you get closer to the front range and that's when it kind of changes a little bit but yeah it's yeah. definitely drier than i expected it to be with the amount of snow that it got so beautiful yeah. place though i really loved it and uh definitely gonna have to make it back there again someday so but let's uh let's talk about you um former green beret um you did some time in the white house um you've done several deployments you know kind of tell me a little bit about um steve's military career in a nutshell sure i uh i was born in northern california and so when i joined the joined the military actually i looked at all the services decided against the navy because uh yeah just anything more than a canoe and i'm getting seasick so uh <laughs> and uh so i joined the army went to basic in in monterey beautiful fort ord back in the day and uh while i was there and taking all these tests for ocs and language school and all this kind of stuff these guys showed up in the auditorium and so they took the whole training company and put it in the auditorium and these guys were in suits and longer hair and talking about this traveling around the world and things like that, but they didn't say a whole lot. And um, I um, kept raising my hand. It's like, okay, I, I can go up to Fort Lewis and crawl around in the mud with the Ranger Regiment, or maybe I can do something in a suit or something different. And uh, later I found out it was White House Communications Agency, provide support to the to the president, the vice president. And, and at that time also the, uh, other dignitaries that would, would come through, but mainly president and vice president, communications support. And so they, uh, I switched from being just a radio man to learning how to repair radios and things like that. And uh, went through Fort Sill to, uh, to Fort Gordon, where the signal school is, and then up to DC. And my first trip out of the United States was uh, from DC to Paris, Paris to New Delhi, then New Delhi to Bangladesh, Dhaka, Bangladesh. That's not the and, worst trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and having having been a kid who was fascinated by National Geographic and everything outside, you know, we got taught history of California all the time. It's like, I, I don't care. Yeah, there was a gold rush. Thank you. You know, I don't <laughs> see what's going on in the rest of the world, right? And so... Uh, yeah, that was a very, one of those, um, like I talked about in my newsletter, one of those things where, uh, once again, I volunteered and kept sort of raising my hand and it turned out really well. Um, and that, that's been something through my whole career that volunteering for things um, that other people might be wary about has always worked out for me um, and led to some very interesting um, deployments, trips, and of course, training and stuff like that. So. And you earned your green break, correct? Um, well, actually, what I did is I, after White House Com, uh, I was in the Secret Service for a couple of years. It was an easy transition. We were supporting the Secret Service and the White House staff, uh, like on trips with communications gear. And so switching over to be a technical specialist, doing alarms video, out on the road, working with EOD teams, right, making sure areas are clear for the uh, you know, the protectee to come through that kind of thing with the EOD teams. Um, after the 1980 election and being gone like about 300 days, so many days that they couldn't pay me anymore. I was just essentially working for free 
for food <laughs> and lodging. Uh, then, then I decided I needed a break. And that's when I went to Florida and then got involved with the 20th Special Forces National Guard. So the, there's, there's the active duty groups, uh, 1st, 3rd, 7th, 10th, 5th, uh, of course, the fabled 5th, the Legion. Um, and then the, the 20th and the 19th are the two National Guard groups. Okay. 19th headquartered out of Salt Lake, south of Salt Lake, Camp Williams, and uh, 20th out of, um, actually, I believe it's Mississippi. I forget now, but I was I was in Maryland. So uh, that allowed me to be, become a contractor and like help stand up Central Command. And, and when I was there, when SOCOM changed and worked in the J2. Um, so I was a contractor but then a weekend warrior, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but going through all the standard classes that other uh, people wanted to, to earn their green beret would go through all the different training. Um, so uh, I went through weapons training and I wanted to go through medic training, but they found out I knew a thing or two about radios. So then I became sort of stuck. That's, that's <laughs> when they get you, man. If they find you got to keep those things a secret as best you can, because as you're going through the process, they're looking for volunteers in certain areas. If they know that you know a little something, they'll just they'll just snatch you up. That's how I got fallen told for a lot of things. And I was like, I try to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but I ended exactly, up exactly volunteered for those things because like we Clark, we know. We know that you know how to do this. I was like, I'm not that good at it. And they're like, no, no, we know. Like, dang. <laughs> exactly right. So I end up with a 90 pound rucksack with a, <laughs> you know, a PSC3 SATCOM. Uh, like when we would do counter drug missions, I'd have a pager. I'd have a, an early Motorola flip phone. I'd have a, a SATCOM, a PSC3 SATCOM you know, and the rest of my ruck is batteries, you know, and, and you know, my friends got to carry my bullets, you know, cause I'm just all full of batteries <laughs> like that. So, um, yeah, but it, it, uh, being, it, being in special forces and still being a contractor and stuff like that really. Um, and I, it, this, this comes out in part of my book is that, uh, when I talk about my protagonist, working at SOCOM and, and being able to walk down to the op center and look for missions for his national guard team. I actually did that and was able to, cause I had the badge, go talk to the right people and get us on these counter drug missions um, that were 100% paid. The DEA paid us to go in and do training in an area, AKA recon intelligence gathering and just report, report if we found anything. And, uh, so those were really good training missions before we went down downrange into my company was uh, predominantly in Ecuador and Colombia. So, so you know, it's obvious. I've read the book. You sent me a big arc, which I think is awesome. And thank you again. Um, mm -hmm. It's obvious that through the book, a lot of your special forces and your time as a contractor and doing all these uh, different things for the your country shine through in the storytelling which we're going to talk about but really when did you decide you know i'm gonna i'm gonna write a book because i think I, if i remember right this is like your fifth book but it's the first one being published well yeah so um the inciting incident as as we call it right in book writing that 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 forms the genesis of the book actually happened in 93 and i did um 
I did um, storylines. I did pages where I had a little picture and then, um, you know, sort of like they do in, in, in um, when they're doing a, a movie, those kind of things. Storyboards. Storyboards. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, I did storyboards and other things like that. But finally, my wife in, in November of 2019 was like, you know, because I'm, I'm a big fan, of course, of, of Jack Carr. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and he had Jack Carr and Taylor and Thor, oh, uh, yeah. folks like that. And she said, why don't you just write, you know? And then I just happened about the same time to find um, Jerry Jenkins, who was in the Black Forest there in Colorado Springs and did a... Uh, six month intensive with him, learned a lot about writing and about how much I didn't know and right. uh, just started writing then. So um, uh, in my journey, uh, I signed with Force Poseidon, but um, the, the publisher was very specific and said, look, I've got a backlog here. You know, your book's not, we're not going to get to your book in six months or something. It might be upwards of a year or whatever. And I said, that's great. I'll keep working on it. I'll keep tuning it up, but I'll, I'll, I'll write other books. And that's what I've done is actually, I have two more uh, shadow tier books that are, I would say in the 80% range, you know, they definitely need some tune up and stuff like that. But so it's, it's been a short, but interesting career. I get up at like five 30, in the morning, actually most times. And uh, it's when my brain works the best have some coffee and I just can sit and write in the quiet. Right. Um, especially as the sunrise comes up, I like that. So, uh, it's yeah. been an interesting journey, but yeah, I've, I've used a lot of my experience and our knowledge about other things and Intel and operations and things. I'm not, I, I've not done everything in the book. Uh, sure. I've certainly been in Mexico a lot. I've never invaded Mexico. Uh, <laughs> you know, with a, with a spoiler alert, (laughs) (laughs) anybody's listening, please, you know, but um, yeah. So, uh, and and some of the places uh, certainly uh, actually I was just in Tampa for SOFIC, the special operations um, uh, industry conference. And uh, I took my wife to uh, one of the locations in Ybor city there the Cuban part of Tampa and to where there's an action scene there. And I took her actually into that, into that bar and stuff like that. And so oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, had a, we had a good time. So I yeah. saw some of the, uh, when she told me like earlier this week that you were at that conference, um, I started looking on social media and I, I didn't realize how intense that conference is. Like they're no joke flying helicopters. They're driving boats around. They're shooting blanks. They're like, it's not just like a, Hey, a trade show. Come look at all the new gear. Like they're actually doing things. And I was like, I need to go to this. this oh yeah. They have a great amazing. demonstration. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, where they've got Blackhawks, little birds. Yeah. Uh, they had a couple of, of soldiers with the, uh, with the uh, jet packs on flying oh, yes, around. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like we saw from the SBS on that one video last year. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a great conference, great place to go find out how much tech has changed, you know, and and, and what's going on in the industry. Um, I'm sure it's so, great for research. Absolutely, that's that that's exactly what it was about. Um, so so like I say, the inciting incident for the book, 1993, messed around, you know, but then 
really got to it in 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 2019 and uh, yeah i think i've been through eight or nine versions of of the book right up into the arc and and changing things and and because it's funny because I, I tend to want to write a nice easy intro and and the genre would like to have things happening in the first chapter so i've learned yeah. a lot about writing in this genre um and I think one of the things I've learned and feedback from people like you and other people is that that you know character development's important, right? You can write a whole book of get after it action, but it's what's happening to the characters. And so I was very interested in the character arc for Lance Barrowwolf, my protagonist, and uh, going from that deepest, darkest place of revenge to actually letting, letting those people live um, to do other things. So. Yeah, and it's um. Let's let's talk about how you came up with uh, Lance, um, or Wolf, as uh, mm -hmm. he's often mentioned. Um, how did you come up with that character specifically, and kind of his background, without giving too much away? Mm -hmm. You know, where did where did the inspiration for that character particularly come from? Right. So when you're writing a book and and wanting somebody to publish it, right, one of the things they're looking for is what. What is going to make it book engaging? What's going to give the book something different, right? We have Mitch Rapp, rock solid, right? Former Secret Service, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and we've got uh, uh, Brad, um, we've got Pike Logan, right, for example, or we got James Reese. So what can I do that is maybe similar, people like this in the genre, but a different protagonist and with a different view so that you can bring in different things. And I thought, you know, that um, uh, there was a book written um, many, many years ago uh, by a famous author whose name escapes me right now, but essentially it was about a, a, a Native American pilot who went down in Siberia and he has to live and, and he's, he's fighting against Russians trying to live and things like that. And I thought, wow, you know, I've seen that once. Maybe it's time for, uh, you know, a Native American, you know, whether it's, a, you know, somebody like a second or third generation wind talker, family person, right? A guy or gal, whatever. And so I started investigating and, um, you know, it's interesting because the, 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 the Crow Nation, right, was, was uh, uh, very interesting to look into and their love of the land and the families and you know uh, the story about how bighorn sheep and uh plays into their culture and things like that the bighorn hence the bighorn mountains but also um they were you know scouts and they were they had they had chiefs that were interested well or or understood that they had, were going to have to work with these invaders these white people coming into their lands and things like that and so uh, one of the uh, sort of people that I would portrait Lance off of uh, was uh, uh, called Chief Plenicu, and he was actually considered by the rest of the tribes as the chief of chiefs at one point, working back into the government to try and protect Indian rights. So that kind of drew me in, and I, I love history, and, uh, you know, I, I've sort of toned down the need to find out about the rest of the world and focused in on America, but Native Americans. And, and so 
uh, it gave me something interesting, I think, a different view of yeah. the protagonist that would be more attached to the land and, and just have a different viewpoint than, you know, I would, for example. So I really liked the fact that it was kind of a different spin because, I mean, there's a million you know, spy novels and military novels out there, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see somebody do something a little different, but at the same time, kind of give credit where credit is due to the fact that in our military, and you know, this just as well as I do, um, we're a very diverse bunch of people come from all walks of life, all countries. Like, I think there's plenty of times where I was probably the minority in the room because, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that negatively, but I'm saying that because there was all kinds of different people in the room with me and we were all kind of focused on this same mission. And, you know, a lot of times in the country today, we get very divisive and it's people don't realize the truth is. And the truth is there are places where we're not divided at all. We're actually hand in hand working together. So it was really cool to see. It's obvious that throughout the book, your experience shine through, but it was really cool to see you kind of change up the main character a little bit in um, a lot of main characters work for the CIA. They work for the president and there's nothing, not saying anything bad about those, you know, they all got their, you know, uniqueness to them, but it was really cool to see you do that. It was it kind of reminded me how Don Bentley did Matt Drake working for the defense intelligence agency. So it wasn't CIA. He kind of had a little bit more free reign and I just finished hostile intent. His newest <laughs> one. That's why, that's why yep. I mentioned it. But, um, it's a great one because it seems like he has like a freedom with Matt Drake. He's not tied to a lot of the kind of typical story arcs of a lot of the male protagonists in, in the genre. And um, especially in this one, and I don't want to give too much away, but if you haven't read hostile intent for those listening um, or anything by Don Bentley, it's really, really good stuff. And he, he really gets Matt Drake into a lot of trouble. In this <laughs> he does. I mean, he it does. just, it, it seems like every time he turns around, he's getting punched in the face. Like <laughs> he, he was in so much trouble in this one that I was like, Oh my God. Like, I don't think he can on? go back to Vienna. Right. No, he abs- <laughs> absolutely cannot go back. Like it's out of the question, but um, yeah. So it was really refreshing to see you kind of do a different um, perspective on it. Now, let me ask you this though given the fact that you were doing something so different, was there any hesitancy to think maybe this won't go over as well because it's so different or were you confident that you could build this and that it would go over just fine? Well, I don't know about confident, but I knew that, that <laughs> um, oftentimes, I mean, I, I, most of the time I wasn't thinking about let's do something different, but just on the edge, you know, yeah. because one of the great examples of, of doing doing the same thing but different is um, when you've got um, Tom Hanks marooned on an island talking to Wilson, yeah. and then you've got um, um, in the um, in the Martian uh, you've got him uh, marooned on Mars talking to potatoes and things like that, or, or into, into the video and stuff. Right. So very similar story, castaway yeah. and, and typical survivor type of story. Yeah. 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 But, but totally different views, right. Different, mm-hmm. different takes on it. And so for example, I mean, 
I, I wrote what I, I wrote what I knew and I knew just like you said, you, you not only get diversity um, like in, in the national guard, right? You've got, you've got doctors, lawyers, you've got cops, you've got carpenters, plumbers, all these kind of things. And I just had dinner. Uh, I just had dinner with the, the, my uh, friend who uh, plays is really LeBlanc in the book. And so once, once you'll read that, you'll understand he's from Louisiana and, and all. And, and, and so I, and, and he's excited. He was actually telling his daughter, Oh, look, here I am <laughs> in the book and things like that. So um, yeah, it wasn't a conscious thought, but uh, just, just talking about using the national guard and reserves as a way to build a, uh, a different type of unit versus trying to create more tier one operators, which are the top 2% of even all, right? So SEAL Team 6, Delta, they're the top 2% of all Navy SEALs, AFSOC, Ar MARSOC, Army SOC, mm -hmm. SOFT, right? Rangers and, and what we call white side SEALs or white side Green Berets like I was, um, you know, it, it just is all that diversity. Uh, and, you know, once, once you're on the team, I mean, it's like, you're my brother, you're my brother, right? We don't care. Yeah. You have all that diversity in a room. I've, I, I've, I've, like you have been in rooms that people from every corner of the world yeah. are in the room and probably even some, you know, uh, partner nation country people too. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I wanted to portray that and, and give some relevance um, to that, that idea that there's so much diversity and so much other capability in the National Guard and the Reserves that mm -hmm. often doesn't get thought of because we have, you know, all these active duty people doing it day in, day out for us. So. Well, there's that stigma that the Guard and Reserve just party on the weekends. You know, <laughs> that's what that's what they do, you know, um, and it's not true. It's not true at all. My brother-in-law is um, isn't a guard. He's active guard reserve. And, you know, he does his thing Monday through Friday. I mean, he, and he works harder than just about anybody else I know. So um, their role, yeah. the role that guard and reserve play from, you know, the admin guys all the way up to the tier one operators is critically important to what we do um, on a broader military strategy and scope of work. Um, especially, you know, there's a lot of things that the Garden Reserve can do for international type of affairs, which you kind of get into in the book about how those kind of things work and crossing certain lines. Obviously, Wolf gets himself into some hot water quickly <laughs> and then often. <laughs> but um, I really like how you used him as a character. He seemed gritty. He seemed edgy. He, he pushed his luck. There's almost a little bit of a um, I don't want to say immaturity, but kind of there's those times where he wasn't thinking solidly with his head and he had to kind of get pulled back but it was that dynamic between wanting revenge and needing to be smart and really good book i i when it comes out on 14 june correct yes 14, 14 june. june everybody needs to go get a copy you can pre-order it now but um so let's talk about um some of the promotion you've done because and in this genre this military spy thriller genre you really got to separate yourself because it seems like there's a lot of books out there. Not that it's a bad thing, you know, for a reader like me and yourself and other people, um, there's several books you can buy every single month. You could easily read 25 to a hundred books a year probably and not even touch everything. 
but um, you've done some different stuff with the promotion, like Steve Squibbs. How did that come about? Yeah, so I have a, a, a really um, well-experienced and um, smart, innovative organization I, I work with called uh, BTB Design. Designs. So James Apt um, has been doing this for a while. He does it for, for brand name people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hired him and uh, he dramatic, dramatically improved my website, which I was hacking around with. I mean, I work in cybersecurity, but I, I building a website. And totally different. It's like you and I talk, man, it's, it's hard. It's, yeah. You've done, you've done amazing things in automating and well, I had to call in an expert too. Yeah. Let me let me uh, not take too much of the credit. Uh, I had to. Well, my first website was not that awesome. It was very bare, bare bones. But I called in um, an expert and paid them to redo it, and then kind of gave me some training. So then I knew kind of what to look for, what to do, kind of like what you did. Um, yeah, it, I had to get the expertise because what I thought looked cool, she was like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, so. Uh, he makes it actually very easy. So he redesigned the website, took a lot of the imagery that I'd gotten from from different places and paid the royalty for. And then uh, uh, he set up a, a monthly schedule and, and sends me a worksheet and I, I, I create content, you know, top five recipes or top five, uh, this month was pistols, right? And uh, by the way, I did not include a 1911 in my top five pistols. I didn't, I, be, that. I didn't want to be that old boomer guy, you know, with <laughs> the 45. I uh, noticed that. I was like, oh. But just, uh, I, I, I will say on the air for everybody, I'm not a fan of Beretta. Mainly because, not because it's not a, a great, efficient pistol, but it didn't fit my hand well. So mm-hmm. when I talk about Lance has carries an old style Browning high power that's because that pistol pistol fits my hand and I don't have to practice to shoot it well. It just, I can just shoot it well. Um, but uh, so, so James has this worksheet. So I create content at the start of the month and then he uses it to, to uh, push out. Uh, when it came to the arc and the giveaway, um, once again, I was looking around and people give away lots of nice things with arcs. You know, you get a free book. Sometimes, you know, uh, you're starting to see more coins, some morale patches, things like that. And I'd already made a coin. I had three inch morale patch and a two incher. And I thought, you know, what can I do differently? And I, and I looked around and said, you know, well, what resources do I have? Well, we have a cabin up near Breckenridge in, in Colorado, here in Colorado. It's right on 14 miles of some of the best trout fishing in Colorado. There's ponds, there's Terriol Reservoir, right? Uh, just down the down the road from us is, is uh, I think it's called Lake George, closer to Colorado Springs. And so we got all this area. What if I was to pay, and, and in my work as a contractor, I have, you know, millions of miles. I've got air miles, I've got hotel rooms and all that kind of things for spending all the money with those folks. What if I was combine some of that and, and have the giveaway be free fishing with Steve in Colorado? And James went like, holy smokes, never heard of this idea before. And that's how we came up with the idea and brought it forward. So, um, you know, it uh, really just 
you know, looking around, what assets do I have and how can I differentiate, like you said, right? I'm a brand new, nobody's heard of me author. You know, some people are giving me very nice reviews about the arc, uh, you know, knowing that it's not the fully edited version. But um, so I'm very happy with that. Uh, but once again, as a, as a newbie, right, you got to get your name out there and, and hopefully people pick it up and push it out. So, yeah, I really like uh, I like the new newsletter, um, the website, all the branding seems to be tied together now. Um, I love the interacting that you've done with people, especially um, with the feedback on like the playlist, the music playlist. That was a really good idea. Um, you seem to get a lot of feedback on that kind of shared, Oh, pulled back the curtain a little bit on like, kind of like what's motivating you. What's the tone of the book going to kind of be. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, giving me a lot of ideas and different things to do. It's, it's kind of hard to, obviously the big, big, big authors, Jack Carr's and Brad Taylor's and Don Bentley's, these guys go on book tours. So they'll have six or seven stops and then you get to go meet them. And, and interact with them, you know, give them a high five, a hug, you know, handshake and take a picture with them. That's their interaction with the readers. Um, obviously, you know, smaller readers or first or first time authors don't necessarily have that, you know. Um, so we got to find different ways to do things and interact with people um, until you can get to that point. But I thought it was really cool how you did the playlist, how you're giving away the fishing trip. Um, it's really seemed to get people interacted in. Um, but how, what was the fun part about the playlist though? Cause you got a lot of feedback on that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, I am one of those folks that, that will hear a song and go back to a memory. Right. And so, um, there are a couple of songs. I mean, one of the, the very first song, song I thought of when, when, um, uh, writing the book was, in the air tonight, right? The classic Miami Vice. Yeah, it's a good one. Soundtrack, right? Um, yeah, I can remember we used to just stop on Fridays and and whatever we were doing and go watch Miami Vice, you know. And um, but that that uh, I remember that at one point I think it was the eighty second had actually done a video and they included paradrops and stuff like you know we're coming to, <laughs> coming for payback. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, on Lance's journey, and when I was thinking of the playlist, I was thinking of essentially Lance's journey, right? You know, start off with Who Are You and some of the other songs like that. And then it gets a bit darker. And then, you know, he's finding out what's going on. And, and um, uh, then, then hopefully it, it, it it goes dark and then it comes back out. You sort of see that in the full playlist. Um, but some of those, some of those songs, you know, meant, meant things to me at different times like that. And, and, uh, or, or somebody else happened to mention, and I went and checked on it and stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a really fun time with that. Um, and, uh, hopefully it, it followed the different acts of the book. Yeah, it did. It did. As I was, as I was reading it, I was, I was checking on the playlist um, just from an analytical standpoint of like, <laughs> how did the music tone up to the book? I can't listen to music. My inspiration comes from like the middle of nowhere. So like, if I get a thought, I have to write it down. Um, when I'm trying to focus on something, whether it's writing an academic paper or it's writing, you know, something I'm working on as a project, 
I almost need kind of silence. I can't even listen to podcasts because I just got to be, I got to be zoned in. You know what I mean? So it's not that I don't have inspiration from any of those places. I don't have it in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I'm the same way. I'm too ADHD because yeah, I just can't in the middle of writing a paragraph and then I'd be listening to the song and the lyrics. Yeah. I, I just, I, <laughs> I do this when I'm writing, I sit down to write like a chapter and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm drawn to movement, <laughs> sort of a protective skill, being drawn to movement and and the wife will poke her head in or something or I'll see my even my phone upside down will light up and I'll be like, what? <laughs> and I'm going to check it. And then I got to get back into what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's like an analytical type of thing. Like if I'm going to listen to like, you know, Jack Carr was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast and I really wanted to listen to it. It's like a two hour long listen. Um, but I want to listen to it because, you know, Jack's going to drop some knowledge. He's going to drop some gems and things I can learn from. And so I can't, I don't, I can't do anything. I need to sit there and just watch or just listen, you know? So um, I, it's almost a focus type of thing. Now, when I'm doing academic papers, I can, I can write, um, I can write and listen to something at the same time, especially mm -hmm. music, because it kind of just keeps the energy going. But it seems like on some of the fiction stuff I've been working on, I really got to sit here and just kind of focus. I almost need to like ingrain myself into what I'm writing and see it. I'm a visual person. So like I almost see it cinematically, like I'm making a movie and I need to write what I'm seeing. Yes. You know, and kind of bring that together. And we talked about storyboarding earlier. That was one of my big things was doing storyboards in different acts. And like, how do I see this? Like, is it dark? Is it light? What's the painting on the wall? Like all that, all that kind of stuff to try to visualize it. And um, I love listening to music. I just can't do it when I'm writing certain things. Well, I, I uh, get a lot of books on audio because it's two hours to our cabin. So I'll be listening. But a couple of times, <laughs> I'm like, yank the wheel over and pull over on the side of the road and I'll, I'll back it up and go, did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? And it'd be a podcast or something out of a book. It's like, whoa, that's, you know, that, that, you know, that kind of line that captures you. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. The, the, the visualization, uh, it's funny when I was doing that six months with Jerry, the first time he looked at my writing and said, you know, we're talking about writing a book, not a TV show. Right. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe that's a plus, but, not here or something, but same kind of idea. So I have so many different points of view all in the same chapter. That was my problem. Yeah, yeah. I got. A, I hired someone to edit, um, like a like the first ten pages, and I just said I need to know if I'm on the right track, if I've even got a future in this, or if this is just a dumpster fire. <laughs> and they were like, "Dude, this is this is awesome stuff, but you're all over the place." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Oh, you got to have one voice. You got to have one." perspective the whole time you need to learn how to do that and they just gave me a lot of tips and pointers he's actually jonas saul he's a he's an author and he's a published like 40 books or something like that super good dude um he could have just sent a little blurb back in an email and said work on these things good storyline i like it work on these things nah he sent me like this five page email of for free too just beating it up, but giving me pointers like you do this here, you do that here, change this voice here. And it was like, okay. And that changed it for me. Cause now I'm a kind of guy, like I just write, 
I don't worry about grammar. I don't worry about spelling. I don't worry about voice, any of that crap. I just put it down on paper. And then when I go back through, you know, I'm looking at the story part. I'm, I'm analyzing that. And, and you know, cause I'm saying things in present tense and past tense and that's stuff you could fix easily for me. It's getting it out. I need to get it out, get it documented and then go back through and do it. And that was the biggest thing for me was in, in the writing. And then of course, studying, you know, reading books by Jack Carr, Brad Thor, you know, Don Pentley and all those guys and just, and going back and reading them and saying, okay, this was in that voice. And this was in that voice, you know, and just trying to learn was, was the big thing for me because yeah, I was all over the place too. Cause I saw it, I saw it like a fan, like I was watching a movie and um, you don't realize how hard it is to write fiction. Like I thought it would be a lot easier than it it is. It's hard. Now I'm finding um, after having, having the same issue you're talking about that, that I can structure story so i've got this viewpoint right in this chapter or maybe two viewpoints and the nice little asterisk in between to say okay we're changing pov here you know because it's just a little section it fits or it ties in or something like that but but staying more closer much closer to to uh, what people consider the right way to do a, a fiction book and now i i'm a big outliner and uh my wife has over a thousand cookbooks and we've got a whole wall of cookbooks, but I use the the bookcases to put my sticky notes and have my plot lines. And it's like, wait a minute, I got to get from here down to here to the bad yeah. guy and back up the lance or whatever. And uh, but once I have that and I, I know what I'm talking about in, in relatively in each chapter, because sometimes it does change. Then I sort of pants in between and, and go in and do things. And sometimes I end up different, have to make a change. But I like where I've come. And so I, I do the same thing. Um, when I use uh, uh, Pro Writing Aid. I do too. Back, right. We, we've talked about it. It's a great tool. I use Pro Writing Aid. It comes back and it and it has this little smiley face. And, you know, it tells me that I still haven't figured out commas and things like that. Uh, you know, not too bad on the spelling anymore. But, uh, yeah. So it is. I love I love that process, and for me, it's a creative, innovative process, and I love that. Um, and um, but when I'm really in the middle of it, I'm not listening to music, not a podcast. I'm I'm in in my uh, office or up at the cabin and just letting it wail, you know, get up, walk around, do, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm really focused like that too. So let's talk about Shadow Tear. Obviously, we don't want to give anything away, but um, you know, this is a story of revenge, um, and for certain reasons that we won't say out loud because people need to go read the book. But um, this is a story of revenge and kind of how he bounces back and forth between seeking revenge and trying to be smart about things without. Um, he gets himself in hot water quickly, but then he tries to keep himself get from getting into hot water seems to keep getting in the hot water even though when people are warning him like you're getting in the hot water again like what are you doing um is really motivated by revenge so um obviously your counter drug and your training missions and the things you did with southcom um come into play but um what is what is next after this story of revenge what's what's the next one or two look like what's the theme for those yeah, so um, 
I wrote them out of sequence. I had an idea and uh, I just went with it. But having um, a second book where it's somebody wanting revenge on Lance is often seen as too early. So the second book will, you'll see an expansion of the team. It's, it's had this initial win. And of course it continues to go on and several years, you know, you're now several years later and we're now in Afghanistan, right? And number one producer of opium in the world. So one of the, one of the, the, um, squadrons is down is down range as is uh in kabul and then moves out of kabul because it's just crazy and they're sort of watching they're in the process of watching the dea do what they did in vietnam which is not effective and you know we spent a lot of money trying to uh, prosecute the counterterrorism fight while uh trying to do something about the opium in, in in Afghanistan. And oftentimes there were Marine units that were just confused about what they were supposed to be doing on a certain day, you know, where they just hanging around waiting for somebody else to eradicate the crop or were they really going to go prosecute the CT mission. So that's going on. And, and so I like complex stories and, and maybe I'm a little too web Griffin or Clancy in this, but, um, so, so they're, they're looking at these kinds of things going on and I'm able to tie in real events that happened in the 2003 time range, things like that. And so they're, I, they're, they're involved in some of that activity um, uh, because there was actually a foreign nation mission that went after a big process, an opium processing site. So they get engaged with that. Um, but the chatter starts up and they see signs that somebody's trying to reconstitute the Marseille mafia where the French connection came from. So, so you've got things going on at home with Lance, like up in Montana, because as of, as of this date right now, there are signs that the cartels are trying to marry into some of the Indian tribes to gain status in the, in the, these different nations on these reservations because they're, less policed, what a great place yeah. to do things, right? Yeah, do your and that, that's real. And that's real. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've got things that are real today, some things from 2003 that are going on, and then this idea that that somebody's trying to bring the French connection back. Mm. And so Lance is like, how do, how do, how do I, right? Because he's, he's, he's almost like a, a clerk. He's now up a few steps, right? That then... You know, Mr. Clark, he's not he's not uh, director of operations at the CIA or anything, but he's up a, and he's got to be he's got to be directing, not going on missions. And Kennedy keeps <laughs> his buddy keeps reminding you're right. a director. You know what that means, right? Um, and um, the um, this Marseille thing's coming up. So how do I handle this? And he 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 just smiles to himself and says, ah, rainbow. And so if you remember the book, right, Rainbow yep. Six, he remembers the book. And so they stand up another squadron in the UK. And um, I won't give away the whole book again, but they do some interesting things that you wouldn't think of a normal organization doing to fight uh, uh, the, the Marseille Mafia and also 
this idea of of taking being an epicenter for Afghani opium to come back into Europe and then make it into New York and the United States. And so it gets tied in with uh, uh, casinos and other things. And so I'm a, I'm a big reader. So there are things that go on and things that I see in different reports of, of, of things that were stopped. For example, somebody had created this business with no name. You could have a locker like a, like a, a bus stop or an airport locker kind of idea at a casino. And it had no name on it. Just you had a code. Nobody else had the code. And I could give you the code and we could use that as a transshipment spot, right? So nobody know the nobody'd be the wiser. No, I could just put baggage in there. You pick the baggage up, of course, it's full of cocaine or whatever, right? Yeah. You know, things like that. So I I apply those kind of real life things into the book. So that's the second book. The third one then is somebody from Lance's past who they thought they had killed, uh, comes back. And uh, he's a bioweapons scientist. Uh, so you, you see elements of, of the devil's hand in it, they, that kind of thing. Bit, bit different approach. Um, and uh, it all takes, it mostly takes place up around Lake Shasta, Chico, Sacramento, and San Francisco. Uh, back become, to your old stomping grounds, kind of. Exactly. Back, okay. back in that part of Northern California. And, uh so yeah, fun fun to write about that. So that's the third book. Um, still has an element of, of El Chapo in it, of course, and 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 the cartels. Um, and what we worried about a lot during the GWA was the cartels working with. Still do worry about this. They're so good at moving product. What if that product's a terrorist, right? You know. So. Yeah, I mean, it's gone from you know international sales of illegal things you know have really jumped off and it seems like you know to talk about i'm by no means an expert but i've read a lot and done a lot of research but it seems like the tighter we squeeze on some of these illegal businesses trafficking things the smarter they get about trying to dodge those efforts and some of those things they've done is instead of trafficking drugs, well, we know that they're looking for us trafficking drugs. We're going to traffic this or that because they're not looking for that. And it's almost been like the counter part of it has turned into new strategies on the other side. And, um, you know, everything's, you know, they're, they're hawking everything nowadays. I mean, stuffing drugs into pens, stuffed animals, the craziest things you've ever seen. And just, Everything seems to be illegal now from, from drugs to music to people to, you know, all kinds of stuff. And um, it's yeah. cool to see someone kind of dig into that a little bit more because a lot of times people think about the, the top two things that get you know traded illegally, which is drugs and guns, mm -hmm. you know, um, and people kind of tend to stick to that. And it's cool to see something maybe bring out a little bit more of that real world. Like, hey, you don't realize how dangerous the world is and the amount of things that are illegally moved around the globe by yeah, people you don't expect well you saw that in 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 the book right at the, mm -hmm. at the logistics facility when they went into the trailer and they found a different type of product yeah uh, big thing right now of course is fentanyl and 
it, it comes from China right into the ports there where the, the, the cartels own the ports there in Mexico. And, and we, do a, we do a deal with a, an agreement with China to stop sending fentanyl. What do they do? They send, send all the precursors. <laughs> so, so the pharmaceutical companies can still make fentanyl the legal ones, but the cartel can do the same. They can intercept and get the get the same precursors and still make fentanyl. And now we have blues and other things killing kids all over the place here. Yeah, you know, 15, 20% increase in fentanyl related death just over the last year. Um, so yeah, they're 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 experts at the illegal movement of just about anything. Um, you know, we have some technical means um, and capabilities that uh are very good at certain things, um, but uh, not not just base, you know, not well protected base drugs that there's there's nothing in the air to sniff or ionize or radiate. You can't tell. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's scary. And the Sinaloa cartel, one of the most adaptive businesses ever on the planet, uh, just moving up from marijuana to to not only uh, moving cocaine for the Colombians, but also then starting to grow their own. Right. And then, uh, you know, even even to the point now with the switch over where cocaine is sort of decreased in in its uh, demand uh, signal, we've got now um, a higher demand signal back again now for heroin. And uh, it's a social change on who's using it and things like that and microdosing and all these kinds of things. So yeah, they're, 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 they're driven to find like when we see the coast guard stopping one of these semi submersibles, I'm just wondering how many full up submersibles, old diesel boats, whatever submarines are getting by. Right. We're just, we've never done anything more than scratch the surface. And that was one of oh, the yeah. ideas was, in the first book, one of the main plot lines is that, you know, we've been pro prosecuting the drug war for a long time. This guy, this guy named Wolf here is making a little bit of a difference here. Maybe we should think things differently. So, so 14 June is when the book's coming out. You can pre-order the ebook now. Um, people should definitely go pick up the, um, when's the, when's the paperback going to be available? Yeah, unfortunately, because we're small time press, um, it's it's 14 June is when you'll see paperback and hardback. And then we'll figure out a way to make sure that if you want a signed copy that that I can get it, sign it and send it off to you, that kind of thing like that. But, yeah, it'll be right now. You can you can pre-order the the, the audio book, the, the Kindle, whatever, but uh, not the audio book. I'm sorry, but the Kindle version, the ebook. Yeah. Yeah. The ebook. Right. Right. Yeah. So go get the ebook right now. Um, tune in on 14 June. Pick up the hardcover. Pick up a paperback um, to go with your e-reader copy, and then you get all three of them. But um, Steve, where else? Um, before we kind of cut off, and and thank you again for coming on. Um, right, tell people where they should go to find out more about Steve Stratton, Shadow Tear, and what's going on in the future. Sure, uh, it says uh, Stephen Stratton, USA dot com or Stratton books on Twitter. And um, yeah, I yeah, got got a Facebook page too. It's essentially doing the same thing as we're doing on the website and 
getting information out. But uh, yeah, I'd love to have folks. Uh, we've still got some time for the art giveaway if you want to sign up and, and uh, you know, work towards a chance to, uh, for that uh, free fishing trip here in Colorado. And then also, uh, uh, you know, uh, like I sent, sent Jeff, you know, you can get a copy of the ARC, get a, get a morale patch and, and, uh, see what, see what it's all about. Yeah. Still got time. Um, obviously, um, 14 June is when it's going to come out. Steve, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, it's great to talk and kind of catch up. Um, I wish you the best. Um, keep me posted on how I can help with Shadow Tier. And of course, you know, I'm going to be one of your bigger advocates and say, hey, go go pick it up. And uh, I'll let you kind of leave off with that or whatever plug you want to leave off for the audience. Well, the plug I'd like to leave off for is actually Jeff's book on leadership. Mm. Um, I am a big fan of of growing the next um, uh, group of leaders. Leadership is so important. I was taught by so many great people, lucky to have uh, mentors who guided me. And uh, not that I do leadership perfectly, but uh, I think really Hear These Truths is a book that if you're in the least bit interested in leadership or you're, you wanna become a leader, not just a manager, but an actual leader of, of people and, and do group good things and achieve great things uh, for you and your family and your company, your country, uh, get Jeff's book. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, and again, 14 June, definitely go pick up Shadow Tier. You know, obviously my book's coming out soon and I appreciate the shout out, Steve. And uh, it was great exactly. talking to you, man. And thanks for coming on again. Thank you. Take care.